Want to be a part of the conversation? Then let us know on the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's news talk, TNT Radio. The voice of a changing world. Chris Smith on today's news talk radio, TNT. Okay, this hour on the program, we've got our cyber and tech guru, Alex Zaharoff-Royt. Plenty to tell you about, including busting the myths surrounding what happens when your telephone gets wet, soggy, drowned, soaked, underwater, in the bottom of the pool, in the bottom of the toilet, which is where I lost mine one day. If you think you know how to salvage your phone under those circumstances, you are probably wrong. So Alex will shed some light on all of that. Senator Holly Hughes coming up in four minutes from now. Um, If you're a cheat when it comes to the tax office and having a few friends of mine work in the tax office, they tell me that a lot of people cheat to try and get by and save a few pennies when it comes to tax time. Well, you better be careful. According to a story today in the Sydney Morning Herald, Um, Chris Jordan, who's the outgoing head of the tax office, says the agency needs police-like powers so it can chase down tax criminals amid a surge in illegal activity, including the creation of 30,000 superannuation accounts by bots started on the dark web. How complex is the web of criminality when that happens? 30,000 fake superannuation accounts. Uh, Jordan, in his final public address before retiring after 11 years heading the ATO, also revealed today that the tax office had discovered trickery within the self-managed superannuation sector with more than $600 million illegally accessed from funds. $600 million. Jordan was the first person from outside the ATO appointed to the head of the organisation. The tax office was instrumental in the Morrison government's COVID stimulus rollout. He was at the National Press Club today. I was at a function once, a sporting function at the Sydney Cricket Ground with Mr. Jordan. Um, For a guy who runs the ATO, he's a fairly down-to-earth sort of character. And I think the the finance department would have um, benefited greatly from his kind of laid-back nature, although I'm not saying laid-back, he's not uh, someone who scrutinises every last bit, you know, every last detail he does. But he's very, very, um, I guess, amenable to suggestions and the sort of person you'd like to work with. So I think they've been in pretty good hands. Uh, Judith Sloan is one of my favourite columnists in Australia, and uh, she herself is an economist, and uh, she likes to uh, look at various policies and uh, regulations that come into being, especially on climate change, and tear them to bits because none of them make sense, as I've been telling you. Well, she's written today that Climate Change and Energy Minister Chris Bowen is not someone who allows the grass to grow under his feet or under the industrial-sized solar panels he is so keen to promote, for that matter. Earlier this month, he announced the government's intention to introduce a new vehicle efficiency standard for Australia. At the time, she wrote today, he told us Australia and Russia are the only advanced economies in the world not to have such a policy. After the standard is implemented here, Russia will be on its own, something that's not likely to worry the Russian government unduly. Bowen is targeting a start date of next year. 
As is the case with many policy settings, she writes, the devil is also in the detail. It's not just about having or not having an efficiency standard. It's also about the parameters of the policy, other related measures and timing. Bowen plans to accelerate the implementation of the standard here by insisting we catch up to the US by 2028. Just remember what Boris Johnson wanted to do and Joe Biden wanted to do with all of these efficiency limits and um, emissions limits. They've all had to be wound back, both in the UK and, as we've discovered this very week, in the United States. And as Judith continues to write, and I won't go through the rest of what she's written, that's exactly what will happen in Australia. This is Chris Smith on TNT. Keeping the commitment 24-7. I've been in the car all day and I got to listen. Can't get enough of it. You guys are doing a great job. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Byron has written on our chat box on TNTradio.live. Byron says, um, Nikki Haley may think Donald is getting meaner, but she's getting more desperate because she can see the big mountain she has to climb over to beat Donald. Yeah, it is the last fling for her in the next four days. I've got Senator Holly Hughes, who's a member of the Liberal Party and also representing New South Wales. She joins us right now. Holly Hughes, welcome back to TNT. Afternoon, Smithy. How busy is it down there? How is it a hive of activity today? Oh, look, I'm in Canberra. I've got inquiries over the next couple of days. So I've only got down this afternoon. Haven't seen a lot of people around, but uh, that's not to say they're all not in committee rooms somewhere and stuff going on. There's always a lot going on down here, but the big long corridors can sometimes look a little desolate. All right, let's talk about Woolworths. Um, this had to happen. The way Woolworths decided to go woke over Australia Day, the outrage that ensued, the number of people that I heard just in my, you know, group of friends and, you know, parents of my kids, mates, etc. they were all saying they don't want to shop at, shop at Woolworths for the next year or forever. It, it upset so many people that Woolworths, who should be focusing on selling groceries, went totally woke and did not want to fly the flag for Australia Day, which, of course, they went back on as they got closer to Australia Day. No wonder the CEO has decided to prematurely retire today. Yeah, well, let, don't let the door hit him on his way out. Uh, <laughs> it's about time. I think it had to happen. I think it's uh, probably been brought forward considerably. They are appointing an internal candidate, so... I don't, I don't know how much hope I hold out for a change in this woke attitude that seems to have permeated through so many of our big corporates. Uh, but look, I like many of your friends, I haven't been back to a Woolworth since that decision. Which, Neither have I. Yeah. It actually takes some planning sometimes when you're somewhere you think, no, nope, <laughs> yes, not going there. It does. Stop in somewhere else on the way home. But, yeah, no, I, I have not been back in since it occurred. Uh, it was such a disgraceful decision. But, you know, and it was almost rubbing salt in the wound that whilst it was still going on as a debate, they had Chinese New Year uh, being put up in their stores. So, you know, they just had no level of consistency there. Uh, they can celebrate all sorts of international days and uh, days that are made for some of our multicultural communities. But to the way they behaved towards Australia Day was just appalling. And it's clear that he was pushed, but he was allowed the dignified route or option mm. to say that he had to retire because this has never been mooted up until this. He's oh, a multi-million key... dollar, yeah. multi-million dollar retirement. Twenty-four million dollars in his in his uh, skyrocket. That'd be, be nice. nice. Yeah, it'd be lovely, wouldn't it? I, yeah. I could 
I could do with two bucks fifty, Chris. I got to tell you these days, I'm on twenty four million. That's right. Yeah, I know. Nice gig if you can get it. Yeah, twenty four million. And I, I think Woolies will. I, I, I want to talk to you in January, just before Australia Day, to find out what Woolies is doing about Australia mm-hmm. Day, because I would find it almost impossible to believe that they would repeat that kind of treatment of our National Day. Oh, absolutely. But, you know, we've still got Anzac Day coming. Let's see how we go there. Yeah, very true. All right, Anthony Albanese has no plan B in his asylum seeker surge, the story said today. I noticed that the Australian Defence Chief was uh, very quickly up to Jakarta today to shake a few hands, no doubt Mm. trying to say to them, what else are you going to do to stop leaky boats coming to Australia? Because my government is starting to get very nervous indeed. And if Anthony Albanese has no plan B and he keeps playing it down as he does and keeps saying, oh, you know, any criticism is politicisation, I'm telling you what, he's going to get a rude awakening, Holly. Oh, look, absolutely. Our, Our national security and particularly our border security is absolutely vital when it comes to defence of our nation, uh, the security of our nation. And this is something that electors do care about. They do want to know what's going on. Yeah. There's been 311 uh, asylum seekers moved to Nauru since this government came to office. It's all been handled very, very quietly. I'm certainly, you know, on reflection, don't remember hearing about that number coming through. No. Uh, but I think what's indicative here. These boats that have recently arrived and the people that they have delivered to the Australian coastline have then hid for a couple of days, allowing those Indonesian boats to get back out of our waters. And so there's been no um, ability to actually capture the perpetrators who've been running the boats. So those boats are still still going and are probably heading back to get another boatload. So I think we're going to see this continue. I think this will be an ongoing problem, but it's a continuing problem when you've got a situation with a a home affairs minister who is clearly out of her depth Mm. and an immigration minister who ideologically supports open borders. I mean, here is a guy that acted on behalf of those on the Tampa. Uh, This is someone who doesn't believe in border security in operation, sovereign borders. They have removed temporary protection visas, which was one pillar of the three pillars we had in operation sovereign borders, which stopped that flurry of boats that were continuing to arrive through the Rudd-Gillard-Rudd years. Yet when uh, Prime Minister Abbott got into office, those boats were stopped pretty quickly. And, and and those people smugglers are very sophisticated. They know what's going on. They have very good intel on the ground here yes. and what the attitude is. They know And on the water push. they do. I was speaking with someone from WA recently on air and they were saying there's a great deal of communication between the illegal fishing boats from Indonesia and the people smugglers that operate on the coast, the southern coast of Indonesia. So they know through the fishing boats exactly the kind of patrols that being are being mounted on the water by the Australian Navy. Yeah, absolutely. And a reduction in flying hours of the, of the planes that monitor our coastline. I mean, you've only got to have a look at a map of Australia and see how enormous our coastline is. It is an enormous job. And by reducing flying hours, potentially one of the planes isn't running at all from what people can seem to find out. Uh, It's extraordinary that they are just leaving these big gaping holes uh, more and more where people smugglers are able to just come in, drop off their cargo, say, guys, hide behind that tree for a couple of days while we get back out to sea. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I want to talk about yesterday's rather 
large announcement, the $11 billion announcement, the government's new surface fleet plans, including this uh, small armada of destroyers, which apparently are going to be able to be used in a couple of years. I don't think anything happens in a couple of years. We don't build roads in a couple of years in Australia. Um, but I, I was interested to read from Greg Sheridan that he wrote today, it's a cross between a damp squib and a huge con job. He didn't hold back, did he? No, he didn't at all. He didn't really miss today. He doesn't miss very often, to be fair to Mr Sheridan, but yeah. no, he certainly didn't miss today. And it was interesting to see uh, that one of the frigates that they uh, purported to have ordered doesn't actually even exist yet. And, you know, they have to be designed from scratch. And, of course, then we will have all the bespoke little add-ons that we want. Uh, and these things are not going to be seen for, for probably decades. Uh, and when you look at the state the world's in uh, at the moment, I'm not sure anyone can be comfortable sitting back going, don't worry, we're going to have ships in 16, 17, 18 years' time. You know, I hear a lot of people say, oh, we'll never be able to get an army as big as, you know, some other Western country. But that's not the point. We're well, never expected to have a submarine fleet or a destroyer fleet or a drone fleet equivalent to the US. Mm. But if there was to be an aggression... Uh, aggressive move or military action that was required in the Indo-Pacific, we would be part of a coalition and we would have to have a large fleet of drones, a large fleet of destroyers, a large-ish fleet of submarines. We've got to be part of that action. We can't just sit there and sit on the, the sidelines and think that uh, the United States is going to save our backside again. Well, considering we refused their request to send a, a ship over to the Red Sea. We sent a couple of people, that's it. Uh, it's, you know, the, the US is really looking to its allies and I think if, if it returns to a President Trump, he certainly will be looking to the allies pulling their weight. Yeah. And I think this Labor government is really playing a very dangerous game of cat and mouse in they're not sort of putting money on the table. They're not going out when allies are requesting assistance. What they've done with the Taipan helicopters, rather than sending them over to Ukraine, they've dismantled and basically buried them. I mean, it's just insulting when the Ukraine had requested them. Uh, the fact that they are sitting back and if anything was to happen in the hope that just everyone will come to our rescue, well, you know, I, I think it's a pretty risky game they're playing. Yeah which means we've got to do more than just say, oh, we've got $11 billion for that. As mm. Greg Sheridan wrote in his article today, that is not new money. That is yep. not new money whatsoever. And and, we, in, and sorry, in defence terms, it's not a lot of money either. No, no, which is why he said it's a cross between a damp squib and a mm. huge con job. That's Greg Sheridan in Australia. If you get a chance to read the article, uh, look it up and read it and uh, put what happened yesterday into a de deal of context. I want to take a quick break and we'll come back with you, Senator Holly Hughes, right here on TNT. A better business tip from TNT Radio. News Talk Radio listeners are some of the most active and involved listeners of any format. TNT Radio listeners rely on TNT Radio often as their primary source of information. They trust TNT Radio and are highly engaged with the content. If you'd like more information about advertising on TNT Radio, simply fill out your details on our contact page and we'll be in touch. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. From weather and traffic reports to news of political developments, we turn to journalists for the information we need to live our daily lives. 
journalists around the world providing news that is essential for democracy, for personal freedom, and for safety and stability. Yet their ability to report freely and safely is under attack like never before. So many journalists are paying with their lives. They face exponential risks and they've already paid a heavy toll. Death threats, online harassment, and physical attacks are becoming a daily experience of journalists in all countries. We just want people to be safe, to be able to get our readers the information that they need to make informed decisions. They checked my phone and realized that it was Pegasus. I feel myself like I'm naked at the street. These charges were politicized from the start. Facts win. Truth wins. Justice wins. C'est énorme pour moi d'être là, d'être libre. Surtout que je m'y attendais pas du tout. Stand with the free press. Stand with journalists whose reporting won't be silenced. Press freedom is your freedom. Internet. Internet. A stream online. TNTradio.live. Today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Yeah, Chimp Watch, uh, one of our viewers, listeners on the TNTradio.live chat box is writing, well, I really feel the Albanese government in Australia is cutting costs, raising taxes to pay for the green infrastructure. Well, this is what happens when you have an unlimited budget for green infrastructure that will do nothing. You don't have money for things that you really need to provide. It's no good trying to save the planet and save Australia if you can't defend Australia. So you've got to put that into priority. Thank you so much for your comments on the chat box. I appreciate it. Senator Holly Hughes is my guest on the program right now. So could we be going to an early election? I, I guess it's not strange, Holly, that there would be a degree of planning, a plan B, a plan C, a plan D, although he doesn't have a plan B for asylum seekers. Surely when it comes to the party preparing for an election, they've got to think about what is an early election, what is a reasonably timed election and what might be a late-timed election. But a leaked all-staff message from Anthony Albanese's top advisor has announced a new senior staff member has been anointed, quote, as we enter the election year. Was that just a faux pas possibly? Look, I think, I mean, aside from the content of the message, I think what the most uh, interesting part of this is that messages between senior staff in the Prime Minister's office are leaking. Mm. So that would tell me there's some very unhappy people in that yeah. office yeah. because to work in the Prime Minister's office, uh, not only you know, should you be an experienced advisor in whatever area you're working in, but you would tend to be a committed member of the Labor Party, certainly yep. a very strong supporter of the Labor Party. Uh, and uh, to, to leak internal messages from within the Prime Minister's own office, I think, is a little bit more interesting and would be making some quite uncomfortable conversations in the PMO at the moment. Look, who knows on the election day? You know, I have this conversation that often I can't tell you. Uh, they, they've got a few things to consider. You've got a Queensland state election in October. You've got WA state election the following March. 
Do they want to go before those because Queensland's not looking particularly good for them? They're going to get a swing against them in WA almost for certain. So do they want the federal out of the way before state governments start to tumble or do they think then it's no longer wall-to-wall -wall Labor across the country so it's more appealing for voters to keep a Labor federal government? Look, there's all these decisions that would be sort of, as you say, plans A, B, C and D. I can tell you they might not have plan B for asylum seekers, but keeping their own jobs, they'll have plans A through to Z. <laughs> but um, you just don't know what and and look the, the age-old rule prime minister gets to call it you go when you can win and yeah. you know when they came in strutting the first week back thinking we've got away with telling a lie on stage three because everyone's getting a tax cut the hubris and arrogance that was being displayed week one was actually really quite gross and i mean it, it's, it's just awful good it, no grace whatsoever mm. uh, to then have the week, the following week completely turned around, especially when estimates was on and it became clear that, you know, there were no protection orders on these detainees that it, they'd let out, that over 25 had been re-arrested, that they didn't know where many of them were, that the number of murderers and sex offenders and violent sex offenders that were on that list of people that they released, then the boats started turning up. So all of a sudden it doesn't look as rosy week two as it did week one for them. So, you know, it, I spoke at a function this week and I, I described the environment as incredibly febrile. It's um, it's moving very, very quickly uh, where where attitudes are. But again, you know, we're in the bubble. We are in the bubble. We're here in Parliament House, out yeah. on the ground. The biggest issue still for everyday Australians is cost of living. True. Uh, they're going to be crowing about the fact that in most states they've had a real wages growth. Like that has not happened for a few years. Mm -hmm. uh, but we're talking about 0.1% real wages growth. I'm pretty sure most people aren't feeling a whole lot of weightiness more in their wallet. Uh, after that announcement, uh, but they won't be able to help themselves out there. And Jim Chalmers today, this economic recovery is faster than anyone predicted. This is amazing. Now, is it good news? It's going in the right direction for sure. But what people have lost over the past two years with this absolutely sky high inflation, incre yep. increasing mortgage rates, this is not going to be making a difference no. in their everyday expenses at all. I got my power bill today, over $600 in a month. Yeah. $600 in a month, you know, a 0.1. That's mad. Real wages growth. Like that's not, that's not touching the side. So right. people will make up their minds, I think, based on their own circumstances and who's going to deliver the best outcome for them. Uh, but at the moment, I think most Australians would be looking at what the Albanese government's focusing on, whether it's been the referendum, uh, whether you know, it's breaking promises, whether he's out there performing stunts, writing on ex-ALP staffers who are now journalists' arms. You know, they're focused on all the wrong issues uh, and not the ones that affect everyday Australians, keeping us safe, keeping our borders secure and making sure that people can afford to live. All right, let's talk about tax and let's talk about the coalition because the Australian is reporting this afternoon that the coalition will push for a lowered stage three style upper tax limit going into the next election that will be in keeping with the principle of the party's initial plan. Shadow Finance, Finance Minister Jane Hume indicated the LNP will push for lower, simpler and fairer taxes as the next election is to re-inject aspiration into the economy. How do you re-inject aspiration under the current 
way in which we've been treated with tax cuts when those who are doing well, those who are successful are being punished. Yeah, and I mean, it's you're really talking, if you're talking about Melbourne and Sydney in particular, uh, $144,000 doesn't go very far in those no. cities. So we're not talking about people who are well off that yeah. are now going to experience a loss of what they would have got under the Stage 3 tax cuts. Uh, it's important to remember Stage 1 and Stage 2 have already occurred, which were aimed at the lower end of the market. Stage 3, this was part of a tax reform package. The fact that Albanese is using tax cuts through the, the removal of a reform uh, as cost oh, of living is it, just, it, it goes against every grain of economic understanding of it does. ever. Um, but look, I know uh, Jane is working incredibly hard with Angus to make sure that when we go to the election, we, you will always pay less under the Liberals. We always want you to keep more of your own money. That is part of our DNA. We absolutely believe you can spend your money better than we can. Uh, the, the, that is probably one of the most fundamental differences between us and the Labor Party. They think they can spend your money better than you, and we think you can spend your money better than us. So that 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 will be the fundamental difference. I think there will be an election fought on tax. Uh, I, I hope that uh, we start to see some really brave conversations because this country needs significant tax reform. Yeah. Uh, the bracket creep is a significant issue. Uh, even Paul Keating's out there calling for an indexation style of approach to, to address bracket creep. And that bracket creep is anti-incentivising for families or, or workers to take on a second job, to start a little business on the side, whatever yeah. it might be. Yeah. Uh, or take that promotion, work an extra day, go back full-time, whatever it might be, they lose so much of it in tax that it, it really takes away that motivation. And this is where the coalition has to go. We'll talk about this another day, but it's well, got to have an energy reform and a tax reform oh, at the very least. Energy reform. Yeah. Can I tell you, your listener that just rang, if anyone's got a day tomorrow that they feel like wasting, because I can tell you I will be, <laughs> I am sitting in a hearing all day tomorrow on duty of care. This is a Greens-led inquiry supported by Labor. The list of people we're hearing from is ludicrous and they're coming to lecture us that we have a duty of care when it comes to climate change. Oh. So doctors' groups, youth oh. groups, it is just going to be a woke fest uh, of the most disgusting proportions. Yep. I, I I can't tell you how little I'm looking forward to tomorrow, except I may get to have a bit of fun with them because I, I just cannot believe this is how I'm spending my day. You'll be reveling in global boiling evangelism. Good luck. Uh, one, one final point just before we get to news. Um, Zali Stegler has mentioned that after the Barnaby Joyce um, drinking episode that there should be a grog and drug ban in Parliament. I don't get the connection between that and Barnaby Joyce, but there were other incidents mentioned as part of that debate through the week. Um, I don't see this as a major problem, and I know I'm a teetotaler and I'd probably say, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but I don't see this as a major problem in Parliament House. Maybe Look. drugs, it's illegal. Drug, recreational drugs are illegal anyway. Oh, so barely. Barely here in Canberra now. In Canberra, you can now hold two grams of meth and get oh, that's a fine. Right. That's right. So, that's right. Sorry. You know, we're in we're in drug capital of Australia here now. <laughs> uh, but uh, so you know, it's not so illegal. But yeah, I do agree. Drugs are slightly problematic. You know, uh, but oh, we are in these buildings sometimes 
like I, I'm out of here after 10 o'clock tonight. Um, you know, estimates we start 7 o'clock in the morning. We're lucky to leave by 11.30 at night. Sometimes we're here until 4.30 in the morning with regards to, to overnight debates. Um, that it is an opportunity. Like sometimes you go and have dinner and have a glass of wine. That's yeah. perfectly acceptable and, you know. Even two. And, and you know what? We don't even vote after a certain um point during the evening as mm. part of our family-friendly hours. That's a mm. joke. Um, so, look, I just think it's Zali Stegall trying to get her name on TV. I don't know. She's yeah, pretty she's irrelevant been. otherwise. Yeah, has been, has been. Mm. I'll let you go. I've got to get to some news. Thank you so much for your time. Enjoy your week. There, Chris. Good on you. Senator Holly Hughes um, representing the Liberal Party in New South Wales. Um, a pretty good sensible view of any kind of ban on grogs and drugs in Parliament House. Drugs are banned anyway, they're illegal, but uh, as for grog, gee, if you've got someone coming in and they've been part of a series of meetings for seven hours and you hand them a beer or a glass of wine at the end of a long day, come on. We're in Australia. We don't need regulations on what we drink, do we? We're grown-up adults and I'm sure that, you know, um, those that uh, misuse it and abuse it will be brought uh asunder by those within their own department or ministerial office. Okay, got to get a, a news update for you, and then we'll come back. We're talking cyber and tech, and it's a big, big segment coming up. And by the way, if you want to ask Alex Zaharoff-Royd any tech question, you do that today. Pick up the telephone and ask away right here on TNT. I got news. News. I got news for you. News. News. I got news. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Russian President Vladimir Putin has publicly rejected wild reports out of the US that he's planning on placing nuclear weapons in space. The US has blocked yet another UN resolution calling for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza. And disgraced former British Prime Minister Boris Johnson is demanding $1 million in either cash, gold or Bitcoin to sit down for an interview with Tucker Carlson. The common housefly, caught in the clutches of the spider's web. Every move it makes just makes matters worse. Then, dinner time. Feast on the captivating stories, videos, and helpful information on our website. Oh, dinner's ready. Oh, man. Escape is futile. Just one more video. Get stuck in our web. TNT Radio. Live. Okay. Now, as I said, if you've got a question for Alex, um, it can be troubleshooting, but sometimes troubleshooting questions can get a little complex when you don't have the device in front of you. But if you've got a question about any new uh, software, things that uh, you're concerned about in terms of some of the new products on the market, things that you've heard Alex talk about that you'd like a little bit more explanation of, Go right ahead. You can call in right now from anywhere in the world, from the United States or Canada, on one 888 from the UK on 033-0024-1026, and from Australia and New Zealand on one 800 He is also a colleague here at TNT because he has his own show. Uh, depending on where you are in the world. I know that it is on Saturday night, Australian time. You can tune into TNT and hear from him. He's from techadvice.life. Alex Zaha Ruffroyd, welcome back. Smithy, great to be here. Thanks for uh, having me on. It's great to join everyone watching and listening. 
Yeah. Well, um, I just mentioned if you've um, got questions that uh, you'd like answered or maybe something that Alex describes today that you'd like to have a little bit more information on, well, give us a call on those numbers that I mentioned. Now, yesterday on the program, Alex, I was telling our listeners, our viewers about um, the Ukrainian cybercrime kingpin who ran some of the most pervasive malware operations in the world. He's now facing 40 years in prison after spending nearly a decade on the FBI's cyber most wanted list. 40 years. Um, I won't even try and pronounce his name because I think I'll get it wrong, but he pleaded guilty this week in the US to two charges related to his leadership role in both the Zeus and Iced ID malware operations that netted millions of dollars in the process. I've got a thousand questions about that. Um, how do you become undetectable over 40 years? How difficult is it to track these clowns down? Um, and how does this work? Um, how does it actually reap that much money from a malware system? Sure. Well, what these people are doing, I mean, they started in 2009. Now, they didn't really have as many controls over passwords and people weren't as uh, careful with virtual private networks. And the problem is that uh, when these people have loaded software onto your computer through uh, an email or through some sort of vulnerability on your computer and they've loaded malware onto the computer, they can have full control over your technology. And so then they can load programs that are spying on the usernames and passwords that you are typing in. They can even figure out what some of the two-factor authentication systems are because they may have hacked into your phone as well. And they're, they're watching this in real time. And right. so then they, then they can log into your bank account and steal the money and transfer it to somewhere else. Now, in 2024, I mean, banks are still not uh, terribly smart. We only heard in the last uh, few days about a gentleman who was, uh, you know, camping in the Blue Mountains, didn't have any connectivity. Someone had done a SIM swap where they'd taken his SIM card, converted it over to them, uh, you know, fooled the telcos into believing that was really him. And then they stole $120,000 and uh, he had to talk to local radio to, to complain because the bank wanted him to sign a document saying that it was his fault. And he said, no way, I'm not, I'm not uh, admitting that it was my fault. How come you as the bank didn't triple check? I mean, if people are making small transactions, but eventually stealing $120,000, that is, uh, you know, you've got to ask yourself what is going on. And that's in 2024. So that's why you as an individual need to make sure that, you know, your banking password is completely different to the password you use for Netflix or Disney mm. Plus or your email. Yeah. You've got to use an authentication program that is sending you a code, not to your phone, but to like the Google Authenticator app or the Microsoft app. And you've got to make sure you have that all backed up onto another phone. If somebody steals your phone, I mean, in, in London, you know, people come on bikes, grab the phone from your hand and run off. And it is possible to retrieve some of these things, you know, some of these codes, but it's so much easier if you have a secondary phone at home loaded with the same Google Authenticator username and password and all of your uh, authentication codes are there. But look, these people are often working for for the state, you know, whether it's North Korea or Russia or oh, wherever right. they're so working government, for. Government backed. Well, some of them are government-backed. Some of them are backed simply by the fact that they're backed by the mafia, by, by the criminal syndicates who have the same sort of access to resources. And, you know, even as an individual, I've got a VPN program that can give me a double VPN. So it would look like I'm in London, but I'm actually going through New York and South Africa, for example. You know, so I've got different hops 
that uh, so that you know if somebody tries to trace one of them they won't be able to necessarily trace them both and of course you know the bad guys have access to huge amounts of resources especially if they're government backed but even if they're not and so you know they're experts at uh, obfuscating things and you know quickly transferring money across moving it into bitcoin making it sort of untraceable and uh, look eventually some of these people are caught because Look, the FBI, the CIA, other organizations, the Five Eyes, they are trying to track these people down. And if one of these people, like this Vyacheslav Igorovich um, Benshikov is his name, and one of his other colleagues, if they go if they go into uh, another country where there's an extradition treaty, if they're sort of foolish enough not to truly hide their tracks, then they'll get nabbed. And this is what happened to this gentleman. I mean, he's 37 now, but you know, this is 2024. He first started doing this in 2009. And so, uh, you know, for some people, crime does pay, but eventually uh, you'll slip up and eventually the authorities get you and lock you away for, you know, decades. Yeah. it's uh, You don't hear the end of the line. I said this yesterday on the show. You, you very rarely hear the successful enforcement of the cyber laws uh, and hear that someone's going to be locked away or a case is coming up, as is the situation here. You often hear about the hackers, but you, you never imagine that the hackers get caught. Well, look, eventually it does happen. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a great warning to the rest of them that uh, there's more of us good people out there. We, we want to catch you. And, uh, you know, that's what that's what's happening. I mean, the there's so much cybercrime going on. It's a, it's an on, it's a non-stop war, not just between security companies like Sophos or Acronis or you know all the Norton, all those different companies. They're fighting a battle too. But uh, you know all the major government departments, the Five Eyes, they're fighting as well. And organized crime, it's just it's a huge industry. I mean, look how the mafia has entrenched itself into New York after decades. They keep catching people, but the mafia, I'm sure, is still there. And uh, it's. You know, crime is will never be gotten rid of on this planet. Unfortunately, it's a virus that uh, we're ha- going to have to live with forever. Yeah, exactly. All right. Um, some clever hacks from Apple now on what to do if your iPhone takes a swim. All these myths are going to be cracked because some of the measures that I know people take, and I've taken myself, are crap. Well, look. I mean, I have to wonder truly whether or not. I mean, Apple is saying that don't put your phone in rice if it's wet. But the reason why they say that really is because some of the rice pieces might get stuck in inside of the uh, charging port, which to me sounds strange. I mean, rice does soak the water from uh, devices, but Apple you'd is saying, so. well, you'd think so, that's right. But Apple is saying, look, if the accessory is wet, if it's coming up with a warning that there's liquid in the charging port, they say, don't plug the cable in. Obviously, if you plug the cable in and it's wet and it's live, you could, you could zap the phone, you could fry it. Uh, and what they're saying is that to unplug it and just put it into a, a, a room, basically, uh, not too humid. And, you know, the, some advice I saw was leave it for as long as you possibly can. I mean, if you need to and you can pull the SIM card out, you can always put that into a different phone. But if you're in the U.S. and your phone doesn't have a SIM card uh, because the U.S. iPhones don't have the physical SIM slot anymore, well, look, you can always go to your telco, grab another phone and have the SIM card put back on, you know, from the eSIM back onto a regular SIM or you can have it transferred to another phone. That's why it's a good idea to have a second phone. But they're saying don't plug the phone in until it's dry. You know, dry it, uh, try and tap it to remove excess liquid, have airflow, wait at least 30 minutes, but really you should wait a lot longer than that. And um, they're saying, don't put it out, don't put it in rice. I mean, uh, don't use uh, external heat source, like don't blast it with the um, hairdryer, don't use compressed air. Uh, and they say that, again, don't put it in a bag of rice, doing so could allow small particles of rice to damage So hang on, iPhone. go back, go back, go back. So don't use the hairdryer. They're saying don't use a, 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 an external heat source. 
and all compressed air and don't use a cotton swab or paper towel into the connector. They sort of want it to dry out naturally. And um, that's the advice they're giving. I mean, look, if you're really in doubt and you're near an Apple store, uh, you can take it to them and they will open it up and, and check it all for you. But they have little sensors inside that actually can tell Apple whether or not the phone has been immersed. So when people say, oh, no, it did, nothing happened, I didn't drop it into the toilet or the bathtub, they, they will know if you're lying or not because there's little sensors inside that will change colour if it's come in contact with, with water. Yeah, okay. Maybe someone can call in and maybe they've discovered a whole unique way of drying their wet phone and make it work again. And if you can do that, we'll pass it on to Apple and who knows, you might have a patent there to... Yeah, to sell. Who knows? Give us a call on our talkback numbers and let us know while Alex is on air. Okay, so you've dispelled a few um, a few myths there. Now, what's this incredible chat GPT capability that can create videos, Alex? Well, it's called Sora, S-O-R-A, and it's a way to create video just by typing what you want to see. Now, um, they're saying that it's their new text-to-video model, and it can generate videos of up to one minute long while maintaining visual quality and adherence to what you've typed in. And they're saying that it can generate complex scenes with multiple characters, specific types of motion, and accurate details of the subject and background. And if you go to openai.com, forward slash Sora, S-O-R-A. There's a whole stack of examples there. And when you look at it, it's hard to believe that that is actually created by a computer. It looks so realistic. And they're only launching it at the beginning to a bunch of special sort of beta testers. It's yet to be rolled out to the general public. But that, when that does happen, it will obviously be, you know, even better still. And they're saying that, you know, it really has a deep understanding of language and it can really accurately interpret your prompts. And they're also... There are weaknesses. It may struggle, it says, with accurately simulating the physics of, of a complex scene. It might not understand specific instances of cause and effect. I mean, they, they say that, you know, someone might take a bite out of a cookie, but afterwards it might not have a bite mark uh, because it's still early days. And also they're, they're trying to use safety measures to really challenge this and they're going to block things like uh, sexual depiction and, um, you know, they're, they're taking their time to launch it to make sure that it's right. But already the results that people are sharing on X and at that website, openai.com slash Sora, are quite incredible. And look, everyone pretty soon will have this. We spoke about Pika.art. Google has its Lumiere and its video poet. There's a bunch of these, you know, AI systems that are working on specifically how to turn video and uh, text into video. And as I've said last time, someone's going to make a TV show or movie in the next year that's going to be a hit and it's going to all be done by AI. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. They're probably working on it as we speak. All right. Yeah. Something for our Australian viewers. Uh, ACMA research is out today revealing how Australians consume their news. It's changing, isn't it? It is. Look, they're saying that on average, Australians last year used 3.1 different sources of news, for example, free-to-air TV podcasts or news websites. Now, that's actually down from 3.5 in 2022. Probably we were all locked down in 2022. We had a lot more time to watch these things as we've come back into the real world. Uh, you know, the pressing matters of uh, commuting and everything else has taken our time. But it's a, it's, they say that more Australians are choosing social media as their primary source of news content. And I know, for example, that uh, if you go to the TNT radio live 
page on X. I mean, we're always posting all sorts of interesting news stories there from around the world. Now, 20% of Australians have nominated social media as their main source of news in 2023, up from 17%. Uh, younger people are shifting away from uh, online news websites onto social media platforms and apps. So yeah, things are changing, but look, that's nothing unusual. I mean, uh, there are young people out there who don't switch on the TV anymore. They get all their content from, from YouTube yeah. and other online sources. So that's just the natural change of the way people are living their lives. There's a major fracturing of where people are getting their information. And, you know, TNT is one of uh, 70,000 different examples of that where you get what you want, exactly what you want, exactly all the time that you want to listen to it. And this is what you get right here. Now, I want to talk about Gen A1 chatbot bots. And they're set to cut search engine use by 25% over the next two years. Explain that to me. Yeah, well, this is generative AI. So it's like chat GPT or, or being, uh, you know, the co-pilot, any of these, or Grok, you know, any of these chat uh, AI systems that have become so popular. People are able to go to those, ask a question, and instead of getting the 10 blue links from Google, which often has sponsored links and spam, and you've got these ads for things and where you can buy things, and it's not just the simple 10 blue links, but, you know, with those 10 blue links, you then have to sort through and figure out which one of those websites really has the information you want. So Gartner, which is a big um, analyst firm, you know, yep. hugely popular in the world of tech, they're yep. predicting a 25% drop in search engine traffic by 2026 because AI chatbots make it so easy. They give you a succinct answer and they often these days as well show you the links as to where the information is coming from. The amount of incorrect information, which is sort of erroneously called hallucination, is no longer really, I mean, it's still there. You still have to check all the outputs and don't just rely upon what's being spouted out by a, a large language model, an AI system. But it, because it's so succinct and good and useful and, and people learn to trust it more, they're going to go to these chatbots and get the answer from there. Now, Google is no fool. They have their German AI system and they're competing as hard as they can against chat GPT. So Google still wants to, you to use them and, instead of OpenAI or somebody else. And, uh, you know, this, this battle is changing. But, you know, the ability to ask naturally your computer for information, we now live in this reality. Most people are not doing it yet, but we now live in this reality. And it's just going to, you know, why would you type something into a search engine when you can ask and be told the answer? Yeah, very, very true. My kids, my eight-year-olds do exactly that. Everything they do, if they're typing or whatever, they put it, they record it, and it comes up, and they this is the way they shorthand their assignments. I've got to take a very quick break. I'm over time. I apologise. Um, let's do that right now on TNT. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. Candace Owens made an interesting comment earlier this week. She said that Taylor Swift reported that Lena Dunham taught her feminism. And apparently, according to Candace, this new wave of feminism teaches that you can get whatever you want as long as you portray yourself as a victim just because you're a woman. And Tay-Tay has done this repeatedly over the years and reaped over a billion dollars as her reward. But is this feminism? Isn't this the cliched damsel in distress, feminine wiles trope? from which the Betty for Dan feminists were trying to liberate women? I think there's something to that. What do you think? For MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for today's News Talk, TNT. You are loved. You are valued. You are resilient. 
You got this. You are there for them. We are here for you. Find free care guides at aarp.org slash caregiving. You're with Chris Smith on today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Not long to go yet. We'll get to news in around about eight minutes' time. Um, Tell me this is just rubbish. AI can now tell your gender from brain scans. Well, this is from Stanford University. They've got researchers there with a new AI model that can identify an individual's gender by looking at their brain scans with over 90% accuracy. Now, there's long been a theory. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, it makes you wonder about all the trans ideology and, you know, all you have to do is put on a uh, woman's dress and just say you're a woman and then suddenly you're a woman. I mean, that's just not the case at all. There's long been a theory that men's and women's brains are organised differently and this AI model effectively ends the debate over what that whether that's true or not. And they're using MRI scans. The AI is looking at these scans of the brain in action, and it sees patterns in how different parts of the brain communicate, focusing on specific networks. There's the striatum, the limbic network, your default mode, and these can help the AI tell the difference between male and female brains. And Because all brains- this business about males and females are exactly the same, exactly the same, yeah. is BS, and that proves it. Absolutely. And look, I recognize true femininity when I see it. And a woman recognizes true masculinity when she sees it. And, you know, you just don't get that. I mean, I see these things on X where you see this guy with what looks like a pretty girl and and it says, should I tell him I'm trans? And it's like, you know, what is he going to do to me? And it's like, you, you know, it's uh, some people are saying it's, it should be against the law to do that. But, yeah, men and women are very different. And thank God for that. We should embrace our differences and, um, you know, make the most of it. Yes, make the most of it indeed. And we do have differences. Well, Singapore, uh, before I want to talk about Singapore, I want to talk about Elon Musk. We know that Elon Musk is work, working on Grok, G-R-O-K, but there's a G-R-O-Q on the market. This will not impress Elon Musk. Well, this has actually been predating Elon Musk's rock by eight years. And its results, this GROQ.ai, their results are lightning fast. They're even better, according to the, their results, than ChatGPT. And uh, they've got superior computational skills. Um, and what they're doing is they're using something known as a, a language processing unit or an LPU. So this is different to the GPU or the graphics processing units that NVIDIA makes and sells for up to $30,000 each. And so this is a different sort of technology. And it's a competitor to all the chips that Sam Altman wants to make, spending $7 trillion. I mean, uh, um, SoftBank in Japan, one of the top guys there wants to spend $100 billion. But these LPU chips are, um, you know, 40, there were 40 tokens per second being uh, transacted by ChatGPT5 back in November 2022 by the chips that were that were using back then, these chips can handle 500 tokens per second, which is 10 times faster and better. So lots of competition wow. in the AI space. And, uh, you know, there's Grok with a Q. Um, yeah, it's, it's funny, but they were around long before Elon Musk. Okay, I want to go to a caller. It's for you, Alex. Ian in sure. Sydney has a question for you. Go ahead, Ian. Yes, look, Alex, um, I have an Apple Watch. I have an Apple Watch 7. And in November, it actually saved me. I uh, was getting, I had COVID and then uh, I was at home and it told me I was getting atrial fibrillation. It it went off a couple of times and I'm wow. You know, so I got myself straight into hospital and um, stayed there for four days with monitors all over me and and being treated for atrial fibrillation. So the Apple Watch 
got me there. I um, I, I was astounded. They just bumped on my wrist. How I looked at right. it, and then I got my I got myself to emergency. My son drove me straight up Northern Beaches Hospital, and uh, there I stayed. And now I got all fixed up. So Brilliant. I'm just wondering. I know it's great, and, and um, I can't speak highly enough of it. I just can't wait to get the. Uh, I think I'll want to get the ultra because the battery lasts a couple of days at least, doesn't it? On the ultra, well, it lasts for three days on the ultra, which is oh, quite incredible. I've, I've got one of the ultra twos here, but the ultra one and two just have you know much longer battery life than the original one. And this year we should have the Apple Watch Ten, the tenth generation, so probably a new design and potentially new features such as blood glucose and blood pressure monitoring. None of that's been confirmed yet. It's been rumoured about for years. And there'll be an Apple Watch Ultra 3, which will be even stronger and tougher and will have the same sort of features. So definitely, if you've got an Apple Watch at the moment, if you can wait until September, October, that's the time to get the new one. Why get the one that's out of date? Of course, if you need to get one, well, you need to get one. But uh, if no, you've no, got one and you're on, happy... The seven is yeah. serving me well. I just would uh, I wait for the, uh, the the next ultra to get the longer battery life. I think, but gee, I yeah. can't speak. I swim in it. It's terrific. It's a um, it's a it's a great. I can't believe they can get all that into a watch. It's I've got it's some amazing. music on there. And I can know, I just I say, Ian, it's out. so good that you're part of the living. Yes, thank yeah. you. <laughs> it, it definitely <laughs> works. You know, you hear people yeah. think, oh, they're just a toy, but they're no bloody toy. They're they're, they're a lifesaver, and um, I just have to thank them for mine, you know. Brilliant. It's amazing. Great right story. I, I thank you very much. I'll talk to you Thank you very much center. yourself, Ian. How good's that, Alex? Yeah. Oh, wonderful. I mean, these things are not toys. They can save your life. You know, people have, uh, with the watch, they've been uh, having the police alerted. Uh, somebody I remember during the pandemic fell off their ladder and the neighbours noticed. But by the time the neighbours raced around, there was this voice going, hello, hello. And the watch had already called triple zero and there was already people wow. on the way. So these things absolutely save lives. My mother has an Apple watch so I've given her. And, uh, you know, in case she ever falls, it's it's going to protect her, especially if I'm not there. I'm in Sydney at the moment. I mean, my brother's in Canberra. can look after her as well. But, you know, if he's at work and she has a fall, well, the, the, the ambulance is going to be on the way. Fantastic. Singapore is going to invest $740 million to boost its AI ambitions. Yes, look, they don't want to be left out. I mean, Singapore's no. always been a bit of a technology hub, a gateway to Asia. And so uh, this is over the next five years. So it's, you know, it's not in the next year, but they want to strengthen their position as a global business and innovation hub. I mean, they already are. But their Deputy Prime Minister says that Singapore will invest more than a billion Singaporean dollars, um, which is, you know, 743 million US, I guess, to boost their AI capabilities. And they want access to those advanced chips that are so crucial to AI development and deployment. And they'll also work with all the leading AI companies around the world to spur innovation. So they're just a number of places that really want to take advantage and harness this AI revolution to get all the people coming to Singapore to set up businesses and not to the Middle East or Silicon Valley or elsewhere in the world. Brilliant. I've only got 30 seconds to go. Apple is having a fat old time of it right now, Alex. Yes, they've uh, celebrated $1.65 trillion in iPhone sales over the past decade. I mean, of course, if you look at anything over a decade's uh, time, you're going to get uh, huge sales. But, I mean, people are voluntarily giving Apple their money. The, the Apple has won the hearts, minds, and wallets of consumers, and uh, that's why their market cap is $3 trillion. And, look, they've had a great year so far with the Vision Pro. It's only going to get better from here. Big AI stuff coming in the middle of the year, and a lot of that will be backported to existing phones, but no doubt 
the iPhone 16 will have some special tricks up its sleeve and we'll talk about that in September or October this year. And a plug for your show on Saturday. Yep, I'm going to have a, a special um, exclusive on Saturday with this uh, big telecommunications news out of New York. I can't say much more, but uh, next week is the big Mobile World Congress and this is something that's going to blow everybody away. So be tuned in this Saturday. Okay, we'll be doing that. Thank you, Alex. Much appreciated, mate. Good on you. Thanks so much, Chris. See you next right. week. Bye-bye. Alex Zaharoff-Royt from techadvice.life. You're all up to date on the world's biggest cyber and tech news. Fantastic. Don't say you're a dinosaur, all right? You can't do that anymore. I've got to go to a break. We'll get you some news. Dean Mackin on the other side. This is Chris Smith. We'll catch up tomorrow. <laughs>